Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This discussion is going to be about chapter 8 of 2 Nephi, which is also Isaiah chapter 51. I'm super excited about this one. This one's got a lot of really interesting things in it. I'll ask you a question up front. Uh, this is going to talk about two men that will be sent to Israel, and I want you to tell me or think about who are these two uh, men that are sent to Israel in the last days. So we'll talk about that here before the end of the chapter. So this is about the last days, this chapter. Um, the second coming of Christ will usher in the great millennium. During this blessed period, divine authority will be administered from two great cities, the New Jerusalem, which will be in America, which will be in Jackson County, Missouri, and the Old Jerusalem. This chapter tells the story of the redemption of these two great cities. Verses 1 through 16 speak in general of Zion, the New Jerusalem, that great city which is yet to be built upon the American continent. And verses 17 to 23 speak of the redemption of the Old Jerusalem. So with that as kind of a basis or a framework, let's get started here in verse 1. Hearken. What does the word hearken mean? Uh, hearken means to listen and obey. So it's not just hear or listen, but it's hearken. It's to listen and to obey. Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness. Look unto the rock. Now, who's the rock? That's obviously the Savior. From whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit from whence ye are digged. Now, he's also talking here about their heritage, their origins, where they're from. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah, she that bare you. For I called him alone, and blessed him. So he's, he's asking us to remind, to be remembered of our, of our heritage, that we come from righteous family here, from Abraham and Sarah. Verse 3, For the Lord shall comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places. Uh, Jerusalem shall be restored, and the new Jerusalem shall be built. And he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. And remember that uh, Independence or the Jackson County area is where the original uh, Garden of Eden was. So he's mentioning that, uh, that the desert will be like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. The earth will be renewed and receive its paradisiacal glory, which means it will be just like it was uh, after the creation. Um, which will be like a terrestrial earth. Also, when we truly come to Zion, which means a union with one another and with our God, the wilderness and desert areas of our souls will also be renewed and blessed. Verse 4, Hearken unto me, my people, the Latter-day Saints are the Lord's people, and give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgments to rest for a light of the people. The law has now come. It is the fullness of his everlasting gospel. By it, he will judge the world, and it now stands as a light for all men. Orson Pratt said, We also read that, our, that out of Zion shall go forth the law. We also read that Zion is to become so glorious in times to come that the nations that are afar will say to one another, Surely Zion is the city of our God, for the Lord is there. His power is there. His glory is there, etc. Now, if there be a time in the history of the Latter-day Zion that the power of God will be made manifest in their midst, so as to stir up the nations afar off, causing them to exclaim that Zion is truly the city of God, 
Her laws are divine. Let us become subject to her laws. Do you suppose that we, with our present organization, after perfecting it as much as we can expect to, could be ready and prepared to send forth laws to foreign nations for their government? No. There would, there would then be persons ordained and set apart for various purposes, not to bestow any new priesthood, for it is all included in the everlasting and eternal priesthood after the order of the Son of God, but to set apart persons already holding the priesthood in the great organization, to receive divine laws, or in other words, to regulate the, the nations according to the laws of Zion, that they may understand her laws and know what the divine government is, by which they are to be governed. In other words, ministers... I don't even know what this word means. Ministers or plenipotentiaries, let's just use ministers or leaders, are to be, sorry, that was Orson Pratt. He's a pretty smart guy, I guess. I don't know that word. Okay. Uh, plenipotentiaries are to be sent forth to transact business among all nations and peoples who willingly shall become subject to the laws of Zion. As to the rebellious nations, there will be none left alive. As it is written, that nation or kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly wasted away. Consequently, the nations left who are not totally destroyed will be anxious to be governed by the laws of Zion. Hence, there will be an organization before the winding up scene that will control the nations politically, giving them the privilege of remaining in their own land if they choose to do so, but subject to the laws of Zion. And that was from the Journal of Discourses, uh, Volume 19. Verse 5, my righteousness is near. The millennial day is almost here, he's saying. Uh, and if this is from Isaiah, it's been a long way coming, hasn't it? My salvation has gone forth. In other words, the gospel is being preached to prepare people for the coming day. So like I mentioned, this is a, a prophecy about the last days. And mine arms shall, mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arms shall they trust. Lift up your eyes, in other words, open your spiritual eyes to the heavens, O ye saints of the Most High, and look upon the earth beneath. In other words, read the signs of the times. And the heavens, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. This old world shall die, there shall be a new heaven and a new earth, it will be a millennial earth. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Verse 7. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart I have written my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. Joseph Smith said, I have reason to think that the church is being purged. So long as men are under the law of God, they have no fears. For fear, most fears do not, as a rule, just happen. We nurse them and feed them until, from an inconsequential trifle, they have grown to monstrous proportions. A young man told me that he could not sleep. Um... He gave me a long psychological explanation of how this had come about. Can you help me get rid of this obsession? He asked. No, was my reply. Then what can I do? He implored. Run around the block at night until you are ready to drop. What you need is exertion. You have put too much of your physical energies into imagining things. If you run hard enough, you will automatically relax and go to sleep. You have thought yourself into this fear with your mind. You can run yourself out of it with your legs. And he did. It is true that many people who are obsessed by nagging fears might find a new interest in life if they became concerned about other people through participating in community activities. Every step in the conquest of fear requires at the outset an act of will. As Emerson said, do the thing you fear and the death of fear is certain. Actually, our fears are the forces that make us when dealt with by decisive action or that break us if dealt with by indecision. 
or procrastination. At the bottom of most fears, both mild and severe, will be found an overactive mind and an underactive body. Hence, I have advised many people in their quest for happiness to use their heads less and their arms and legs more in useful work or play. We generate fears while we sit. We overcome them by action. Fear is nature's warning signal to get busy. In its mild and initial stages, fear takes the form of criticism of certain activities and people. The world is full of malcontents who, because they have they will not change themselves, talk about changing the entire system. Through conversation, they rationalize their anger with the world instead of becoming en enraged with themselves and flying into worthwhile action. That was Henry C. Link, PhD, in, in an article called Getting the Most Out of Life. Okay, verse 8, for the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool, but my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. In other words, everything will end except the Lord's salvation. Verse 9, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord, awake as in the ancient days. Israel, in other words, is calling upon the Lord for deliverance, as he once did to free Israel from Egypt. Art thou not he that hath that cut Rahab? Rahab is another word for Egypt or wickedness, and wounded the dragon, meaning Pharaoh. God has power over all his enemies. Verse 10, Art thou not he who hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? And this, is, this has reference to the crossing of the Red Sea by the Israelites. Verse 11, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. Uh, doesn't don't the Latter-day Saints have this choir that uh, sings? I forget what they're called now. Just kidding. And everlasting joy and holiness shall be upon their heads. In other words, priesthood ordinances from the temple. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. So this will be the, the, during the millennium. Verse 12. I am he, yea, I am he that comforteth you. Behold, who art thou that thou shouldst be afraid of man? Who shall die and of the son of man who shall be made like unto grass don't fear man in other words trust in the lord elder mcconkie said we do not say that all of the saints will be spared and saved from the coming day of desolation but we do say there is no promise of safety and no promise of security except for those who love the lord and who are seeking to do all that he commands verse 13 and forgettest the lord thy maker that hath stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and hath feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile, in other words, Israel that had, was carried away, and those who wander in sin, hasteneth that he may be loosed, and that he should not die in the pit, nor that his bread should fall. Christ is the bread of life. Verse 15, But I am the Lord thy God, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in thy mouth, and I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. And so this is from, uh, as he's prophesying here, down to verse 16 here, is about the Zion of, of New Jerusalem in America. Elder McConkie said that expressions such as this mean that the name of the Lord Jehovah has been placed upon his people, and they, knowing the name by which they are called, are heirs of salvation. So then, so he's saying here, he's saying unto Zion, thou art my people. So the Savior's name is written upon us. Verse 17, now he's talking about old Jerusalem that will be redeemed. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which hast drunk of the, at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Thou hast drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling wrung out. 
The last drops of the cup of wrath will be wrung out for Israel to drink, including the sediment in the bottom of the cup, which may symbolize the bitterest of trials. Elder McConkie said that Daniel spoke prophetically of a day when there would be the abomination that maketh desolate, and the phrase was recoined in New Testament times to say the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. These conditions of desolation born of abomination and wickedness were to occur twice in fulfillment of Daniel's words. The first was to be when the Roman legions under Titus in 70 AD laid siege to Jerusalem, destroying and scattering the people, leaving not one stone upon another in the desecrated temple, and spreading such terror and devastation as has seldom, if ever, been equaled on earth. Of those days, Moses had foretold that the straightness of the siege would cause parents to eat their own children, and great loathing and evil to be abound, to abound. And of the same events, our Lord was led to say, for then in those days, in other words, in our day, shall be great tribulation on the Jews and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, such as was not before sent upon Israel of God since the beginning of their kingdom until this time. No, nor ever shall be sent again upon Israel, and except those days should be shortened, there should none of their flesh be saved. Then speaking of the last days, of the days following the restoration of the gospel and its de declaration for a witness unto all nations, our Lord said, And again shall the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet be fulfilled. Oftentimes, Isaiah's prophecies have more than one fulfillment, and here he's saying that it has two at least. That is, Jerusalem again will be under siege, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Again, the severity of the siege and the, and the extremities of brutal conflict born of wickedness and abomination will lead to great devastation and desolation. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity. It will be during this siege that Christ will come, the wicked will be destroyed, and the millennial era commenced. Verse 18, um, I'm sorry, that was from Mormon Doctrine. Verse 18, and none to guide her, in other words, Israel has lost both the priesthood and the gifts of the Spirit, among all the sons she hath brought forth, neither that taketh her by the hand of all the sons she hath brought up. These two sons are come unto thee. In other words, God has sent two priesthood holders to assist and bless her. These two are the two witnesses spoken of in Revelation 11 who will testify in Jerusalem for three and a half years and who will be killed and left dead in the streets and who then will be resurrected and lifted up to meet Jesus Christ when he returns to make his appearance to the Jews. These two will be members of the Quorum of the Twelve or First Presidency. Continuing verse 19, who shall be sorry for thee, thy desolation and destruction and the famine and the sword and by whom shall I comfort thee? Joseph Smith said, if we are not sanctified and gathered to the places God has appointed, we must fall. We cannot stand. We cannot be saved, for God will gather out his saints from the Gentiles. And then comes desolation and destruction, and none can escape except the pure in heart who are gathered. In Revelation chapter 11, uh, it says, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days, which is the equivalent of three and a half years which is also the length of time of, of Jesus's ministry. Clothed in sackcloth, meaning that they'll be humble. These are the two olive branches, or I'm sorry, the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So here these two prophets are going to do 
uh, perform miracles like Moses did in the plagues of Egypt. Uh, this is still in Revelation 11, now verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And their bodies will be there for three and a half days. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. I'm wondering if this uh, might not be something that the whole world sees uh, it's on Fox News or something, so that everybody gets to see what's going on. Uh, what is, uh, now section 77 verse 15 talks about who these prophets are to be. It says uh, in section 77 verse 15, what is to be understood by the two witnesses in the 11th chapter of Revelation? Answer, they are two prophets that are to be raised up to the Jewish nation in the last days at the time of the restoration and to prophesy to the Jews after they are gathered and have built the city of Jerusalem in the land of their fathers. Their ministry will take place after the Latter-day Temple, this is from Elder McConkie, uh, has been built in Old Jerusalem after some of the Jews who dwell there have been converted and just before Armageddon and the return of the Lord Jesus. Who will these witnesses be? We do not know except that they will be followers of Joseph Smith. They will hold the Holy Melchizedek Priesthood. They will be members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is reasonable to suppose, knowing how the Lord has always dealt with his people in all ages, that they will be two members of the Council of the Twelve or of the First Presidency of the Church. And that was from Millennial Messiah. Verse 20, Thy sons have fainted, save these two. In other words, all those that uh, they thought would help them uh, have now gone away, and these two prophets are the only ones left. They lie at the head of the streets as a wild bull in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of thy God. During the second abomination of desolation, when Jerusalem shall be under siege, there will be two great prophets which will prophesy in the streets of Jerusalem three and a half years. Their story is told back in Revelation, which we just read. Now it's interesting, um, in, in Revelation 12, verse 2, it says, but the court, which is without the temple, he's, he's talking about here, uh, an angel that came to measure the temple that, that John is seeing. He says, but the court which is without the temple, leave out. In other words, don't measure it. Leave it unsanctified and unprotected, for it is given, or God will allow, unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall be tread underfoot, to show contempt for sacred things, and to persecute, even destroy others. Forty and two months. In other words, three and a half years. Parley P. Pratt said, John informs us that after the city and temple are rebuilt by the Jews, the Gentiles will tread it underfoot 42 months, during which time there will be two prophets continually prophesying and working mighty miracles. And it seems that the Gentile army will be hindered from utterly destroying and over overthrowing the city while these two prophets continue. But after a struggle of three years and a half, they at length succeed in destroying these two prophets and then overrunning much of the city. They send gifts to each other because of the death of the two prophets. And in the meantime, will not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves, but suffer them to lie in the streets of Jerusalem three days and a half. Uh, back to Revelation, it says, I will give power unto my two witnesses, 
so they're fulfilling the ancient law of witnesses here. No doubt they will be members of the Council of the Twelve, or members of the First Presidency, Bruce R. McConkie said. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days, clothed in sackcloth. Okay, I just read that. Let's move on. All right, down to verse, um, let's see here. I'm going to read in, in uh, Revelation 12 still. Um, verse 6, these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. They're doing it like Elijah did and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will, just like Moses. Okay, we read the rest of that, I think. Let's go to verse 21. Therefore, hear now this, thou afflicted and drunken, but not with wine. In other words, they're so wicked that they don't even know what they're doing, hardly. Verse 22. Thus saith thy Lord, the Lord and thy God, pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again, but I will put it into the hand of them that afflict thee, who have said to thy soul, bow down, that we may go over. And thou hast laid thy body as the ground and as the street to them that went over. Now, the last two verses in in uh, Isaiah chapter or in Second uh, Nephi chapter eight are also the first two verses of chapter fifty-two of Isaiah. So let's read those last two verses, twenty-four and twenty-five. Awake, awake, put on thy strength. Joseph Smith said that Isaiah had reference to those whom God should call in the last days, who should hold the power of priesthood to bring again Zion. And the redemption of Israel and to put on her strength is to put on the authority of the priesthood, which she, Zion, has a right to by lineage, also to return to that power which she has lost. O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, take off the garments of slavery and put on royal garments, even garments of the temple. One way she puts on beautiful garments is by living the law of consecration. Garments are also priesthood power restored in the last days. O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. At the uh, millennium, then, only those that are righteous will be going into Jerusalem, because that's all that will be left. Verse 25, shake thyself from the dust. In other words, remove sin from your life. Arise. Arise from what? Arise from slavery and sit down. Sit down where? Uh, arise from slavery and sit on your royal throne. O Jerusalem, loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Joseph Smith wrote that the scattered remnants are exhorted to return to the Lord from whence they have fallen, which if they do, the promise of the Lord is that he will speak to them or give them revelation. The bands of her neck are the curses of God upon her or the remnants of Israel in their scattered condition among the Gentiles. So when he tells us here to stand up or arise and sit down, he's telling us to arise from sin and sit upon the throne for which you were entitled and which you have the right to um, through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I bear testimony of the truth of these words of Isaiah, and that, as, as I mentioned before, that those two prophets that will be assigned to Jerusalem will be the members of the Twelve or members of the First Presidency of the Church, and uh, that they will, uh, that that will be pretty, pretty awesome to behold. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I'll see you next time. Bye.